Mankind has always had a fascination with the incredible. Engineering feats that defy belief, works of art that speak to the soul, scientific discoveries that change the world, scenes of nature that awaken our senses. We call them wonders. But the greatest wonders of all time were the miracles performed by one man almost 2,000 years ago. The world had never seen anything like it before, nor has it since. So let's be amazed again at the seven wonders of the world. your best story do you have a story that you like to tell like if you're in a social setting and everybody's sitting around and the stories start to get told and there's like your go-to like oh yeah and there there was this one time and you pull this one out of the hat and it's the one that you use I don't know what your story is but I can make some guesses about your story without even knowing it first of all it probably involves you in some way shape or form Either you were a character in the middle of the story or you were there when it was happening and, and you were somewhat of an observer of the story, but somehow it had a personal connection to you. It was probably something a little bit out of the ordinary or maybe something unexpected. You didn't see it coming and it's like, oh, that was unique or that was funny or, or whatever it happened to be. There was probably an element and a level of tension in it where there was some type of conflict where this wasn't working and this happened and somehow the whole thing got resolved. Even possibly your story had life-altering effects. Like this happened to me and, and because this happened, you know, this played out down the road here. I was driving over to uh, Chicago this past weekend. Again, I, I keep going to Chicago every weekend to help get my uh, middle daughter, Lindsay, moved to a new apartment. But I'm driving down I-94 right before you get to 421 there at Michigan City. And I was reminded again of the fact that I was in an accident there on that highway. We were driving, and it was back in the days when the speed limits were a little bit lower. But uh, we got hit by a semi, and uh, we were passing him on the right, and he swung into our lane and spun us in front of him. And he hit us five more times as we went down that road and finally knocked us off into the uh, grassy median. And today, they've just paved that whole thing across there. But uh, we kind of slid into the, the, the bottom of that hill, and we all got out of that car and walked away from that accident. And so there's stories like that. I was reminded of that, but you have your own stories too. I have my stories of like how I met my wife on a blind date on leap year day many many years ago now or i have the stories of when i went uh, kayaking on the penobscot river in maine i'd never gone kayaking before and they have that little thing that they call the eskimo roll where if you tip your kayak upside down you can flip yourself back up it looks so easy on tv well i almost drowned but i didn't but it was close but we have our different stories like that and maybe you have your story too maybe it's like your engagement story of, of how you planned intricately, how you were going to pop the question here, and you came up with this really cool thing. Or maybe it was a story of, of something that happened in your sports career, how you were like the hero that, that game, and, and uh, you know, no time left on the clock, you were down one, two free throws, boom, boom, you hit them both, and you won, you know, like your championship of 
of your eighth grade gym class or whatever it happened to be. But you have your story because we all have stories. And that's what life is made up of. It's just a series of these individual stories, and they're put together, and they become the motion picture of our life. But stories explain us, and stories tell us how we got to where we are, and stories tell us why we became who we've become. And so stories are a huge and a powerful part of our lives. In fact, I think it's one of our most prized and powerful possession. When you take all of the things that you have in your life that you've been given, one of the most important things that you've actually been given is your story. And your story has impact to you and to others because stories impact us. They challenge us. They inspire us. Sometimes they move us. They stick with us. Sometimes they even haunt us. But stories engage us And stories are incredibly powerful, and we all have them. But we all have spiritual stories as well. Things that have happened in our lives where spiritually where where God showed up or, or something happened that was really out of the ordinary, and it has marked us. For me, I go back to when I was 12 years old, and they told me that my mom was dying of cancer, Uh, inoperable. There's nothing more that they could do for her, and we prayed. And we prayed and we prayed, and my mom lived for 17 years. And shortly after I got married, she ended up, um, cancer um, came back and she died of that cancer, but 17 years down the road. And I have stories of, of other things that have happened to me in ministry, and I have this story of how I was finally made aware of what grace was all about, and that it really wasn't me about trying to make God happy with me all the time. And to, to avoid the giant um, cosmic club that would come out of the sky if I didn't do the right thing or keep my list the right way. And I have that spiritual story as well. And so I'd ask you that question this morning, you know, not just what is your story, but what is your spiritual story? Because just like your stories have impact, just in general, your spiritual story can have huge impact as well. Well, John highlights seven different stories in his books, and we've been looking at them. We've covered five. We get to story number six today. It's actually miracle number six, or we've been calling them wonders. So we're on wonder number six, or what John actually called them is signs. Because these were stories that weren't just so we could say, oh, that was a nice story, and nod our head and say, that's really cool. It was a story that was given to us so that we could learn something about Jesus. And so let me just go through a quick review this morning, and, uh, but we're going to end up in John chapter 9. So we've talked about these seven stories. We talked first about the, the, the water to wine, then the royal official's son, and the lame man who rose up and walked again, the feeding of the 5,000. Last week, Chris talked about the walking on the water. But these were all spiritual stories. But John's trying to get us to stop looking at just the miracle. He wants us to look at not just the miracle, but the miracle worker. So, yeah, this is a great story how 5,000 people were fed, but what does it tell us about the God, Jesus, who fed those 5,000 people? And today I want to take that and and spin it one more time. So it's not just the miracle. It's not just the miracle worker. It's the miracle recipient. And I want to really focus in on this story because this 
guy receives this miracle, but this guy is an awful lot like we are. In fact, I think we can relate pretty closely to his story, believe it or not. And it's a spiritual story, but here's what I like about his story, is it relates really clearly to our stories, especially as we talk about spiritual stories, because I think as we unpack this today, and you say, oh, look at his story, I think you should and hopefully will be able to say, oh, his story is just like my story, and that you'll be able to unpack that story as well. And so you'll be able to see and understand your story, maybe even able to explain your story a little bit better. So again, John chapter 9, and this story is told here by John. It's written in third person. It wasn't really about John. It was something that he observed. And what I want to do, and I think you can follow along here today, is I want to read this story, but not in third person. I want to read this story in first person, as if the person that this happened to is actually the one who's telling us this story. So please follow along with me. And I think this, you'll, you'll have to kind of do a little bit of work to stay with me, but I think that you'll be able to. So John chapter 9, verse number 1. So I was blind. <laughs> I had been blind from birth. I, I'd never seen a thing. So as I got older, they just sat me beside the road and I begged for people, just a little bit of pity, just help me out. And then this one guy walked by. They said his name was Jesus, and I had heard of him before. And he was traveling with some people, some followers, the disciples, I think they were called. And then they started talking about me. They didn't talk to me, they just talked about me. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Well, that hurt. I mean, it's one thing to be born blind, right? But then to be judged for it, like it was something that I did, like it's something that I deserved, or that my parents did, and, and I get that because it's punishment for my parents. Talk about piling on. But then this Jesus spoke up. Uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I had no idea what that meant, but it sounded encouraging, didn't it? Like, I didn't need to be ashamed of my blindness. And maybe there was some reason behind it. And, and, and maybe even there was, like, some, some hope. But after he said this, he spit on the ground, and he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on my eyes. And he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now think about this. I'm blind. How am I going to get to the pool of Siloam? I can't see where I'm going. And what was the deal with the spit and the mud? It felt kind of gross. But some people told me that I should do as he said because this was, after all, Jesus. Well, I don't know. What do I have to lose? So they took me to the pool, and you'll never believe what happens next. I washed the mud off my eyes. I lift my head up, and I can see. Unbelievable. So I rush home, and I share the good news, and the neighbors, they saw me. Of course, they didn't really know me. They'd only known me as the blind beggar. And so they started talking to each other and said things like this. Wasn't this the man that used to sit and beg? And, and some were saying, yes, it is. And some were saying, no, it isn't. And they said, I just looked like that guy. And I just had to set the record straight. So I insisted, I am that man. Now then, well, how were your eyes open, they asked. And I told them. The man they called Jesus, he made some money and he put it on my eyes and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. 
So I went and washed, and then I could see. And then they said, wow, that's incredible. How did you get so fortunate that Jesus chose you? I can't imagine what you must be experiencing right now. You'd think they'd say that, right? But no. Instead, they just asked me, well, where is this man who healed you? I had no idea. So they took me to see the Pharisees. In retrospect, looking back, that probably wasn't the best idea. It turns out that the Pharisees really weren't big fans of Jesus. Plus, Jesus had healed me on the Sabbath day, and that wasn't very popular either. But the Pharisees, then they asked me this. They said, how did you receive your sight? So I answered. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, they were talking about Jesus, is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. And then they turned back to me. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. So I told him, he is a prophet. Which was obviously the wrong answer in their opinion. And so since they didn't believe me and that I'd been blind and received my sight, even though they just said that I had, they sent for my parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say who was born blind? How is it that he can see? We know he is our son, my parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's old enough. He will speak for himself. Now, my parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogues. And my parents were kind of freaking out because the synagogue was the hub of all society in that time. So getting thrown out of the the synagogue, well, that was like becoming the town outcast. And that's why my parents said, he's of age, ask him. So, verse number 24, they call me back up front. Give God glory by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And at this point, I decided that I wasn't going to debate with them any further. So I replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And the story continues, and we're going to get to it in a minute to finish it up. But I want to stop here this morning because what we just read gives you a picture not just of his story, but also of your story, hopefully. And while everybody's story is somewhat different, everybody's story is somewhat the same when it comes to talking about spiritual stories. And so there's four elements of his story that I think that you'll be able to see in your story as well. Here's the first one, sin. We all have a spiritual past. Now, the disciples wanted to have a big theological question here, a big debate about this sin, and they didn't realize a few things. They didn't realize, first of all, that sin is the ultimate cause of all suffering in the world. So, yes, this man was blind because of sin, and every person who's blind is because of sin, and every person who's lame is because of sin, and every person who struggles with whatever is because of sin, but not necessarily that person's sin. Sin is pretty indiscriminate as far as the penalty and the, uh, the judgment of sin as it plays out, and the, the curse of sin maybe is the best way to say it, as it plays out in the world, it hits us pretty indiscriminately. 
And so the fact that somebody suffers more than the next person doesn't mean that they sin more than the next person. It just means that sin is present in this world. And yes, we all are actually sinners, and so sin does have an effect on us. Now, some of it, does, it doesn't leave us blind, but some of us, it leaves us hopeless. Or, or some of us, it leaves with like addiction issues. Or some of us, it leaves with, with shame and regret and guilt from the past. And, and some of us, it, it leaves with secret lives that we live that we hope that nobody ever finds out. But sin affects us all, and it's all part of our story. Even for, for me, or for you, it's all a part of our story. And because we have sinned, we all experience spiritual blindness. It's just the state of living without God in the world. When we have God, it gives us a different perspective, doesn't it? And when we don't have God, and people that don't have God, they have a very different way of looking at things because they are spiritually blind. And all of us have experienced that blindness. But the disciples didn't get this either. That blindness does not have to be permanent. And that's the good news of the story. So this man is in a bad condition. Well, so are we. Because he was born in sin. Did that sin make him blind? No. But did sin in the world? Yes. And just the disciples, they were fortunate because they had every much, as much sin as the blind man did. They just didn't have it hit them in that way. And so we all have that situation that we can relate to. We're blind. We have sin. And there's nothing that we can do about it. We all start our stories as sinners. Nobody has to teach us how to sin. In fact, we sin because we're sinners. We don't become sinners because we sin. And that's an important theological point, but that's the truth of the matter for all of us. We all have sin as part of our story somewhere in our past. But then we have this word, spit. There's that moment that we actually encounter Jesus. When he walks into our story, spits on the ground, makes mud, and, and, and puts it on our eyes, it's the first time, maybe, that we are actually confronted with who Jesus is. Or maybe it's the first time that we've actually heard the story of, of what Jesus was all about. But we all experience that, too. And if you're sitting in this room this morning, the chances are that you've already experienced it in the past. And if not, you will this morning. In fact, maybe you already have, as we've sung songs about who Jesus is. But we encounter Jesus, and we encounter his power. And it's not always a comfortable situation. I think it's kind of weird in this story, to be completely honest, that he spits on the ground and makes mud and puts it on his eyes. Well, just, just heal him, okay? It just seems easier, doesn't it? And yet there's those times when, when Jesus comes, and sometimes it's through uncomfortable circumstances, or, or sometimes it's through things that we wouldn't even expect, but we, we are exposed to Jesus, and it almost feels like mud on our eyes. And then we hear him say, well, go wash. And so this man faces a choice, am I going to go wash or not? I mean, somehow you have to get rid of the spit, but do you want to wander in your blindness down the road to this pool? I don't know. But he decides to take that step. But here's how it works in our stories. The, the spit is this moment when Jesus shows up and says, hey, I'm Jesus. And this can be different. You don't have to be blind. And we start in that direction and say, okay, I want to find out more. I want to learn more. And then we get to this next step in our story, which is Sloan. It's the pool. It's the place that we get to where we wash and when we lift our heads, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, everything is different here. 
It's that moment of decision. It's that moment where we have grace, where Jesus says, you can have forgiveness, you can have freedom, you, you can have a relationship with God the Father restored, you can have the hope of eternity with him, you can have that. And there's that moment of grace when, when Jesus is saying, you're blind, I'll give you sight, free of charge. And yet it's that moment of faith where we have to say, okay, but I'm going to walk, I'm going to accept, I'm going to put my faith in what Jesus has said. And we all have that opportunity where we need to say yes to Jesus. And when we do, everything looks differently. Guilt is replaced by forgiveness. Shame is replaced by acceptance. Fear is replaced by confidence. Hopelessness is replaced by hope. Emptiness is replaced by fulfillment. And loneliness is replaced by love. But we come to Siloam and we wash and things change. And that brings us to this point of sight. Where we all can live with a new reality. Where we can experience a new life. And if you add these four things up, you have your story. Every single one of us. Where we start with sin. We are confronted with Christ. We have the invitation to wash, and when if we will wash there, when we trust Jesus Christ, we can receive spiritual sight, and you have your spiritual story. And if you look in your outline today, and if you didn't pick up a bulletin on the way out, or way in, pick one up on the way out, because there is a tool in there that I really want to encourage you with. But if you read on the first side where it says sharing your story, it says, if you trusted Christ, as a teen or adult, and there's five questions there for you to answer that'll help you think through your story. I'm trying to be super practical with this, and you'll see where we're going in a minute here. So you can look at that, and you can look at that now, you can look at that later on, but there's five questions here that will help you walk through that story, which will almost let you tell it like a blind man might tell his story there. It might sound something like this. I grew up in a non-religious home. We were taught the golden rule, but at the same time, it's pretty much every man for himself. And I was really good about being about myself. But at the same time, while I was all about myself, I was pretty unsure of myself and I was pretty insecure. I just put up a big front so nobody would know about that. Well, that's sin. That's step one in the story. But I went to college, and I went to college, and I met this guy, and he invited me to go to this Bible study. And I decided maybe I'd go to this Bible study. I wasn't really interested in this Bible study, but I knew that there's this one girl who went to the Bible study, and I wasn't interested in her. So I went ahead and went to the Bible study, and you know what? I got there, and I heard about Jesus for the first time in my life. And I heard about the fact that he cared about me, and there's the spit. And then you goes on in the story. So I started having these spiritual conversations with my friend, and I kept going to these Bible studies, and I realized that Jesus loved me not because of who I was, but because of who he was. And all these insecurities, like, that didn't matter to him because he just accepted me and he loved me and I trusted Christ. And there's that Siloam moment. And then he goes on and says, I have this confidence. It's not myself anymore. I don't have to put up this front, but I know that Jesus loves me and he always will love me and I'm always okay with him. And so I don't have to live my life in, in anxiety or, or, or insecurity. And that's sight. And that's how a story is laid out and told that way. 
But some of you are sitting here thinking this morning, that's great, Brent, but that doesn't fit my story. I got you. Because here's the deal. You came to Christ when you were like four or five years old, like I did. And like, you know, my life of sin was like, I didn't always get my bed made, and I powdered a few times. It's not real dramatic. So what do we do with a story like mine that doesn't really fit this outline so well? Well, let's keep reading here. Verse number 26, they asked me, and we go back to telling this in first person, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And I sense that we're just going around in circles here, so I said this, hey, I've already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And I love the irony of this. <laughs> do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at me and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And I said to them, well, isn't that remarkable? You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. And I think that's the fourth time in that story he's made that statement. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw me out. But that's not the end of my story. Jesus heard that they had thrown me out. He found me and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I have a clue. So I said, who is he, sir? Tell me so I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And I said, Lord, I believe. And we get to a second part of this guy's story. And this may be the moment really where there's a spiritual transaction that takes place where first of all he's healed of physical blindness. Now he becomes healed of spiritual blindness. But it gives us an idea of how it works in some of our lives, especially those of us who say, well, I came to Christ when I was young. The truth of the matter is that we may come to Christ when we're young, but we don't understand it all. We understand enough to trust Christ, but do you really understand who Jesus is in all of his glory, in all of his essence, in all of his attributes? It's as we continue on in this life, and even as a Christ follower, when we have moments, and another moment, and another moment, where Jesus makes himself more real to us, or where Jesus reveals himself in new ways. And I mentioned something when I was a 12-year-old kid, how, how my mom had been healed. That was a moment. I didn't trust Christ at that moment, but I learned something about Jesus in that moment. And that becomes a part of my story as well. And so maybe I don't have the dramatic, well, I once was blind, but now I see. But I do have, you know what? I have this situation in my life, and here's what Jesus did in my life. Or maybe I can just say, you know what? I've dealt with insecurity my whole life. And it's really when I've really locked in on my faith that Jesus has done something about that insecurity. Or maybe I've struggled with bitterness, and it's really at this moment that Jesus taught me what forgiveness looks like. But it's that way that Jesus steps into our story in stages. Even as we look at this story here, he heals them with a, with, with, with a well, he puts spit in his eyes, then the healing comes, then the, then the interaction comes back again and maybe that's how it is for you so your story might be something like this so i grew up going to church and hearing about jesus in fact when i was young i committed to following jesus i knew he loved me and i knew what was best you know, that he wanted what was best for me 
But then I went to college, and I really had a rough, a rough time. I was having trouble making friends. I was overwhelmed by the schoolwork. I couldn't figure out my major. And that's when Jesus really changed things for me, and I figured out or totally understood who he was. And if your story is a little bit like that, well, the good news is there's two sides to the handout. And if you flip it over on the back side, it says this, if you trusted Christ when you were young, and it gives you five questions, I think, here, that you can work through if that's your situation. But this man had a story, and I have a story, and you have a story, but we just don't have stories. We have stories to tell. And the power of a story is unleashed when the story is shared. And that's where we finish up here this morning with just three more words. The next one is, there, well, there, there you go. There's the formula for your story. But these next three words, the first one is sharing. We simply need to share what we have experienced. There's theology in the story, but there's not theology in what the blind man says. He says it four different times. He says, I was blind, now I see. This was his story. That was it. Two lines. I was blind, now I see. As we look at our spiritual stories, it can be that simple. And sometimes we're like, I would know, I have no idea how to share my faith with somebody else or to have a spiritual conversation because I don't know how I'd explain it. I was blind, now I see. I was insecure, now I feel pretty confident in Christ. I used to really struggle with worry. Now I know that I have a God who's in charge of my life. It's that simple. It's simply your experience. It's your story. Your story is the most powerful apologetic you will ever use in sharing faith with another person. And our stories have value and power, and they are shared. We don't need to make it so hard. It's just a matter of saying, here's what happened to me. And when I share my faith with somebody else, and I say, here's what it means to come to Christ, I in almost every single time say, here, let me tell you my story. Because that's what it is. And that's the easiest way to do it. There's another word here, the skeptics. A lot of times when we think of skeptics, we think of the, uh, the cynics in the world. Skeptics are just unbelievers. And in this story, we see them with the Pharisees and the people, and they were kind of hardened, and they're kind of like, yeah, we don't really believe this. But every one of us was a skeptic at one point because we weren't believers. I mean, it's kind of hard to think of myself as a five-year-old skeptic, but that's what I was. Until I was confronted with the good news of Jesus died on a cross for me, and I, and I trusted Christ that night, and I moved from being a skeptic to being a believer. But every single person that we come in contact with is either in one of those two camps, a believer or skeptic. But you move from the believer or from the skeptic side to the believer side when, when somebody shares a story. And you're like, wow, I can't really, I can't really deny that. And, and maybe that could be true for me too. Because maybe, you know, maybe I struggle with bitterness too. Or, or maybe I just have this lack of purpose that's just driving me crazy. And you say you found purpose? See, we don't need to have this big, deep spiritual conversation as much as we just need to be willing to share what has happened to us. And it's not our responsibility to convince anybody. At the end of this story, the Pharisees weren't convinced. And yet, the story had been shared and the story had been told. 
Let me just wrap up this morning with one last word here, and it's a sign. And every one of these wonders or miracles has a sign. And here's the sign. Jesus is the God who authors great stories. And if you're sitting here this morning, the chances are pretty high that you've already experienced and encountered Jesus in your life and you're a follower of him. And he's writing right now a great story. In fact, there are things that are going on in your life right now that can become part of that story that you share with somebody who maybe doesn't know Jesus. And if you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're sitting here this morning, in your story, you know about Jesus, but you've never really experienced Jesus. I mean, you know what it means to, to be blind, but you don't really know about the sight thing? Well, this morning, Jesus can solve that. So the story tells us that Jesus is the God who writes better stories for us. So we all have a story. The question this morning is, what's yours? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this story that John goes and captures, because otherwise it would have been missed, but in his book he includes it. But we could be encouraged by somebody who just made it as simple as, I don't know, used to be blind, but now I can see. And that's true for all of us. Thank you for giving us that spiritual sight. But God, I pray this, that you would challenge us this week with the fact that we have stories that are worth sharing. And that we can share them confidently, and we can share them expectantly, and we can share them hopefully, and I pray that you would help us with that. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you find me afterwards? I'll be by the front door. I'd love to talk to you more about that. If you're watching online, send me an email. Call me up. Love to have that conversation. If you're sitting here this morning and you have your story, don't let go of it. It's incredibly powerful. God, please help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been wondering something every week. And last week we were wondering just about God sightings, and we sent out the email on that this morning. If you had a chance, we'd love to hear back from you. There's a little extra box in there where you can kind of tell us about your experience there. This week, love to hear it. This is what we're wondering this week. We're wondering this week, how many of you will actually take this and do this? So there's two steps, well, there's three steps to this. We're going to ask you to do two of them. The first one is just to go through here and answer these questions. Does this help you to write them down? That's great. If you can just do it in your head, that's fine too. But once you do that, we would like to encourage you to write out your story. Now, you could do that in outline form. You could do that in a bulleted form. Or if you like to, you could sit that and write that out in paragraph form. But we're wondering how many of you here this morning watching online will actually write out your story this week. That's all you have to do. You don't have to share it with anybody. You have to go that far. You just need to sit down, think it through, and write it out. And that's what we're wondering this week, to see how many people will do that. You don't have to turn it in. We're not going to read them. We're not going to grade them. Just take the time to actually physically take a pen, and I, or if you're more of a keyboard person, whichever way it is, but actually get that story written down. I asked the worship team to come back and sing that last song that we sang with communion this morning because it was so good and it fits this story so much. We're a little bit over, but we need to sing it again, don't we? Let's stand and sing, and then after that song, you'll be dismissed.